the volume. Hey guys, it's the sessions presented by FanDuel. The Super Bowl is here, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. FanDuel has awesome exclusive Super Bowl offers for both new and existing users. There's going to be tons of different bets and new markets available for the game. You can combine multiple bets into a same game parlay, and you can continue to jump in on the action at any time with the live betting. And when you win, you get paid fast. Download the FanDuel app today and start making every moment more during Super Bowl 57. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, So it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, Just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. We don't we don't need like a big formal hurrah. Here we are doing the interview. It's us, me, you. Are we allowed to call you Mandy Ross? I guess we have to say we could say Mandy Sachs just to be safe. Formerly known as FKA Mandy Rose, Mandy Sachs. How are you doing? I'm good. Doing well. Yeah, it's been uh it's been really crazy, obviously. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, but I'm doing good. I can't complain. How has like the adjustment been? Because it is such a trip to go from doing one thing that is so all consuming to now not having that. I mean, I obviously you were staying very busy and we'll get into those things, but it does just kind of throw you for a loop. It does. Yes. Um, It is a little weird. Not going to lie, especially, you know, the traveling and just constantly being on camera and being available at any time. Um, But now it's just, I just feel so free. There's just this like freeing feeling, you know, in a good way that I'm just, I have all this spare time. I have all these opportunities that I can um, work on, figure it out, you know, what's my next move and just spending that quality time with, you know, my fiance, with family, I'm able to go up to New York whenever and see my family. So it's just, it's just been nice. And, you know, for seven years, I was obviously uh, very blessed and um, grateful for everything the last seven years being in WWE. But, you know, it's just the traveling and the crazy, you know, on call for 
anything and it's hard to plan trips. It's hard to plan things, obviously, because you just you always have to be available. So that's that's the cool feeling, I have to say. So it's a cool feeling because I know it. I've been there. I've I've lived that. But it is also an odd feeling. And maybe you handle it seems like you did handle yourself better than I did because you kind of just got right into work. You obviously had stuff going on the back burner. You had some stuff to kind of jump into right away. But that feeling of like, oh, what do I do with this free time? Now, what do I do with that? Like, I can be a little bit neurotic when it comes to stuff like that. Did you ever have moments of the, uh, what, what am I doing? Where, where do I have to be? I don't just have an app to look at that tells me where to be and what I need to do. Did you have like a weird adjustment with that? I feel like it might not have hit me yet totally because it's still kind of fresh. And like you said, I am still, you know, kind of busy doing stuff, but there was one day like last week, I think it was when I was like, okay, this is a little weird. Like I got up, I was, you know, enjoying my coffee and just kind of futzing around and in my sweat still. And I'm like, this is nice, but I'm like, I have like nothing to do today. Like no plans, not like, you know, not even a phone call, nothing. I'm like, a little weird. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I think it's it's normal to have those moments, of course. Yeah. But um, it, yeah, it, I think it'll hit me a little bit more too as time goes on. Sure. No, it, it is still so new. I mean, what it was middle of December that everything went down and you were, so you were like completely sidelined by this. You come in, find out you're going to be losing the title of Roxanne. And then it was the next day after that, like walk me through the whole thing of like what happened for you. Yeah. So, um, completely surprised with everything. Um, I went into work like a normal Tuesday for TVs. And, um, you know, I was told that the title match that was supposed to happen down the line, uh, at vengeance day was when it was supposed to maybe happen, but that was all up in the air. That's the only, you know, news I got, um, as far as for the future, but it was said that we were going to actually do the match tonight. Uh, that was about, I don't know, it was around like two o'clock or something when I was told. So you know how that is. Um, well, okay. What were you fe- like? What happened when they told you that you're like, wait, what did you go to like creative right away or like talk to Sean or like, were you like, just like, wait, have plans just changed or something else up right now? Well, right away I had the inclination that something was up because I just, you know, and everyone has, everyone treated me so great at NXT. I had a great relationship with Shawn Michaels, the writers, the producers, everyone. So I was never like kept out of the loop either, you know, being a champion for 413 days, I was in the loop with everything. I didn't really have many surprises like that. So it was very like, whoa, what, you know, did I do something? What's going on? Obviously um, I had some inclination because of what was going on on social media and what was going on the night before, but it was, it was, you know, it came from Shawn Michaels himself. So obviously I knew it was coming from head of creative in that sense. So I knew that it was, I didn't really have to go and try to seek other answers, even though I wanted other answers. But at that moment I had to do my job and get planning, you know, our match and everything else that we had to do that, that night. Were you emotional going into that? Just being like, okay, shit's like, you felt like the, you know, the rugs kind of pulled out from underneath you just got cut out at the knees. That must have been really difficult to kind of get through that TV day and go through that match and just kind of like focus on the task at hand. All this other shit's going down. It was weird. In the moment, I was like, I felt like I was focused. And, you know, I always loved working with Roxanne. We had a good relationship. So like that was good. And and it actually went smooth the rest of the day. But in my mind, obviously, where I didn't kind of sell it, I didn't show it. I was like, this is so 
messed up. Like what is going on? And I had, you know, multiple people coming up to me being like, what is going on? Obviously. What was Roxanne like all day? Cause this was thrown on her as well. I felt bad for Roxanne because she's so amazing. And I really do love her as a person. And I feel like it was so exciting that you're winning any, you know, anytime getting told you're going to win the title is very exciting, but I just felt bad because I, I felt like it was rushed. I felt like there was, you know, which it was rushed. There was no promotion leading up to it. Um, she had just won uh, the matches, you know, being the number one contender. So we were going to build on that eventually. Um, and it would be a really good, you know, feud in that sense. But I felt bad because it was just like thrown on her. And like, I know her like family would come to the shows, like her sister I met and stuff. So it's like that she could have had it, her family, you know, her family there. So it was just really rushed. And I, I just felt bad, but she handled it like a great professional woman that she is. And, and we, and we just got it done and she was obviously very happy and we had a great match. So. Okay. So the next day that's when you get the phone call, they're like, Hey, uh, yes. The next day, um, which I was anticipating with how everything went down. I was making jokes about it actually the night before. Cause you that's know, the only way are. to get through it. It's the only way right? to get through it. Yes. It's the only way. Like, um, I was literally making jokes about it and the girls were even like, Oh my God, stop. You're crazy. I'm like, no, I'm like, it's, it's not crazy. Um, but yeah, I got a call, I don't know, around like 11 or something. And, you know, you know, that 203 number. Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes in, it's going to be uh, either really good or really bad. No. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's funny because I obviously being from uh, grew up in New York, I had some family in Connecticut. Like our cousin that's down here right now who's doing a lot of work at our house um, has like a 203 number. So like every time like I do get that, I'm like, oh, whatever. You get that jolt so, of like, oh, God, like, who's calling yeah. me? What, where do I need to be? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, I got that call and uh, they said what they said, you know, um, yeah. they had to release me because of uh, the situation. But I didn't really get much info. So that was kind of it. And um, yeah, I was actually staying at... Um, Indy Hartwell's house, uh, Sam, because I, I stay there sometimes. We became really close and she was upstairs getting ready for TV because um, I've never, I haven't told anyone this story actually, but she was upstairs getting ready because it was, we had to do a double taping that day. And um, that's why I stayed. And I was like, Indy, I was like, I just got fired. And she's like, all the way upstairs. She's like, what? She's like, shut the like no way blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I'm serious. And you know that like at first you're just like, you kind of like laugh a little bit because you don't know whether you want to laugh or you want to cry. So, and it was like a gut punch, but then I was like, okay, well now I need to like, I need to really think about this and, you know, handle this, whatever. Crazy. Okay. So all those things being said, you go through that emotional roller coaster, and it is that feeling of, okay, now time to deal with business and you've handled it fucking beautifully for the month of December. You became a millionaire in a month. On fan time, I think that just kind of like blew everyone's mind, made everybody reconsider their own career choices. Like, wait, what? So obviously you had it in place, which is what led to this. But did you have like a great business team on your side to just kind of like help you figure out, okay, now we're going full fledged into this and into whatever other business opportunities kind of come your way? Like, how did you kind of handle the business side of things? Definitely a good team, um, which helped. Uh, I've been I've been working with first round management out of Miami, and um, you know, being in WWE for so long, we always like it's hard to have like agents and, and managers and stuff like that because there's so much you can do. So that you know, uh, this one 
manager, Connor, who's amazing. He was just, just like, just a hustler and would just try to get me little things here and there and, you know, try to get it approved and see if it works. If not, whatever, keep moving. But, um, Connor and another, uh, guy called, uh, called guy named Fernando, excuse me. Um, (laughs) um, they have been working on it and, they know what they're doing when it comes to helping me manage it and all that. So they have been a a tremendous help. And obviously when I got that call that I got fired, um, they found out right away and they were just on it. Like everyone, I mean, this great publicist, Jen, who I've been working with, just everyone was just like, and, 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 you know, like I've talked about this in other interviews too, like my fans were so behind me and everyone was just like, so behind me that like, like I didn't really have to say anything cause they were doing it for me. I just kind of sat back, was taking it in. And then I was just watching those numbers. Okay, up what, on like what, I couldn't believe I, it. Walk me through like opening your phone. I'm sure you kind of look on the app and you can see what the income is looking like, what the subscriptions are looking like. Like, did you think, did you have to like keep refreshing it being like, wait, is this real? <laughs> yes. And it was like, it became like, I'm like, okay, is this also like toxic? Because I'm like checking it. Like it's the damn stock market. Like I'm just watching like the the money go up and the, it was just crazy. I was driving home from Orlando. I had like a two and a half hour drive and I was obviously emotional. I called my dad and he was like, what? And I'm like, and I, of course, whenever I talk to my dad, I don't know what it is. Even if I'm like, not that sad, I'll like cry because I'm very like close with him. And I started crying, but I'm like, I'm like crying, but I'm like, it's fine, dad. I'm like, you know, I was trying to explain to him all too. Cause then I'm like, oh God, you know, he's going to read all these headlines. And obviously, you know, I, I don't want him to think the worst, but, um, and I was like, no, it's totally fine. And he was so confused, but I was driving home and Connor and Fernando and everyone at um, first round were just like updating me of what, you know, fan time was doing. And I was just like, couldn't believe my eyes. Like, yeah, like literally I, I could me my fiance and our uh, cousin that has been here for a while, were like sitting in the living room and talking and they were just like, what's it at now? What's it at now? And I'm like, all right, guys, we got to stop looking. I, I, we literally were like, let's wait an hour to look. We had to like put, cause it was getting addicting. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. But like, I mean, such a testament to like what your fan base is and the content that you're able to put out in that relationship that you can have with your fans. So, I don't know anything about fan time except that you're on there and you make a bunch of money. What <laughs> is fan time? How is it different from only fans? How does, how does it work? So fan time and it's, you know, a subscription based platform, basically where you can interact with your fans. Um, you can, you know, you message your fans, you can go live. Um, you can have premium content. You can, um, you know, just have access to like, like a, you know, Instagram wall, but you know, a little bit sexier than Instagram. So, I like fan time when I first discovered it because I felt like it was a little bit more professional than OnlyFans. And it didn't really have the stigma, you know, that OnlyFans has. Sure. Which, sure. you know, it's whatever. I don't I don't judge. I don't care. But I didn't really want to do it at first because I didn't really feel that I would make the most without promoting it. Cause, you know, I did it for a little while without promoting it. How did you like how did you do that? So I just had it in my bio and um I was, you know, doing content and I was chatting with my fans. It's just like another form. And like, you know how Instagram now has the subscription based thing that everyone's on. So it's like, you know, whatever, but, uh, it's a similar thing because that's where the world is going and, you know, social media in general. So, you know, at first I 
saw that it was extremely lucrative and they offered me like kind of like a really good deal to like earn more money. Right. So I, I said, you know, let's just do it. And then I was really happy that I did it because at first I was like, wow, this is like really good money that like, you know, I could be setting up my retirement for and everything else. But yeah, it's really fun. It, it's it's cool. You know, um, I, like I said, I would never do anything that would really harness my brand. I know things got out and I know, you know, people screenshotting stuff and whatnot, but that kind of goes, comes along with the territory, right? You know what you signed up for. So when did the rumblings kind of start of anybody um, at WWE being like, wait, what's happening? Because I'm sure they must have brought it to your attention maybe at one point or another. Did they or did they not? No one brought it to my attention besides the night before I lost the title, um, which was just, and it was from my lawyer and it was just saying, take this link down. Your lawyer sent that from, yeah. And it came from WWE, you know, it came from legal. So it, it was just saying to take the link down. So I complied, obviously it came from work, took the link down right away that night. And then the next day was when, um, was when I lost the title and got fired the following day. So I never really had, I never had an, a warning. I know there's, you know, obviously a lot of news out there that says I was warned. I was, I, I never did, but it could have been different for sure. It's interesting though. Cause I mean, like you saying, like that was number one, fan time being number two. But when you look at like the monetary side of things and you really putting together your own business, it really could have just, I mean, it did just become an easy swap for that to become number one. But was that something you would have ever thought about initially? Like while you were, I mean, you, shit, we'll get into your run at NXT because it was incredible. The things that you did. And honestly, just you blow my mind. Even just like prepping for this interview, thinking of like when we first saw you at Tough Enough to who you became and like what you were able to accomplish. And honestly, like a relatively short amount of time, like it's crazy. Anyway, we'll get into that stuff. But just in terms of like, yes, that was your career. That's what you were focusing on. But now with that, you get this other notoriety. And now this other thing is kind of calling to you and becoming this really crazy lucrative business. Like just to make that swap to go, okay, well, what one do I really want to put all my focus and attention on to? Do you think it's something you would have kind of arrived on on your own had the circumstance not been this way? Like you said, it, it did become when it comes to financially and, you know, kind of some life-changing money for my future, it did become my number one at that point. And I was like, well, not that I, I would have chose one of, over the other, it just financially wise, like that's what it did become. But, um, and in the amount of time, you know, like obviously you can make a lot of money in wrestling. We all know that. And it's a great platform, but you know, it's over time and you're doing a lot of damage to your body and you're putting a lot of hours in. So for the amount of money that I made in this short period of time, I was like, wow, like this is, this is insane. But I think for the future and all of us girls always talk about it too. And we make jokes about it, you know, like all oh, after wrestling, like whatever, we'll just go on only like we joke around, not, but it's really not a joke. Cause like you really can make a great living off of this. But I, I just think that I always talked about it after wrestling, like, Oh, it could maybe something. It was never like a, I'm definitely going to do that. Like, I know it would be lucrative for me, but it wasn't really thought about too much. Obviously, I was focusing on my other brands too, with my skincare line and Demandies and all these other things and what I want to do after wrestling. But yeah, I mean, you couldn't have scripted a better way to go out though, I must say. It's really funny (laughs) because I do feel like there 
often can be that stigma or it's kind of planted in our heads of like, well, see how you make it on the other side of this, like see how things are going to turn out for you. So I do feel like you kind of went out with like, you know, blaze of glory, middle fingers up, cash everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) It really worked out beautifully (laughs) for you. And like you said, I mean, I know your relationship with everyone there is is great. And it's like an unfortunate circumstance to have it go this way. I mean, I just heard Shawn Michaels talking about the situation too. And he was like, shit, sucks that it happened that way. But here we are. And, And like I said, I did have a really good relationship and everything that I put into the last year and a half. And just the camaraderie and all the like friends that I, I miss being. And like, it was really emotional for me that night after the, when I lost the title, like I never expect, and I mean, I know I came a long way and I know I give myself a lot of credit, but like the standing ovation and like the thank you, Mandy chance and everything like, and it was, you know, it was in, in NXT, but like, still it was like very, like I sat to sit there and was like, Whoa, like I never thought that I would get this in a sense. Um, just because of everything that I've been through and what I've, uh, you know, went through, but, um, yeah, it, it was crazy. And, and I, you know, when I like was hugging Sean and, and a couple other people after the match, it was just like very emotional. Cause I just like, I had this bad feeling too, that I was like, this is the end, you know, which just, it, it was bittersweet too, because it, we, there's always going to be an end for all of us. Right. But the way it happened, I would be remiss to not ask you about, because I remember seeing something about it. The rating of penises. Is this a thing? <laughs> Tell me about this because I'm dying to know what kind of shit ends up in your DMs, what kind of conversations you're having (laughs) with people like I need to know this. It's fucking exceptional. Oh, you caught me for a loop with that one. (laughs) I was not expecting that. Um, It is a a thing. I'll say that. It's definitely a thing. Um. It's uh, it, it's crazy. The only time dick pics could be solicited, right? Because normally you I mean, don't want they, a dick yeah. pic, but and, here and we all we, sure we all get make them a game of in, it in the DMs. So you know what? <laughs> I as well make the most of it. Okay, so aside from that, what is some of the craziest shit that you've gotten in your DMs or like requests for things? Is there anything that really sticks out? I can only imagine. To have a cocktail and, and like flip through your DMs would be my favorite pastime. Yeah, like my DMs. Are we talking Instagram or fan time? <laughs> well, I'm sure that, yeah, I guess there's a bit of a, a jump between those. Okay, well, let's go fan time. Let's continue to promote fan time. <laughs> um, I mean, everything. I, there's just, I don't even know where to, where to begin, you know. But honestly, though, I, I will say, I think maybe because my fans know that, you know, they're talking to me on fan time, not that they're not talking to someone else on Instagram, but like, it's just more exclusive and more intimate on fan time. And Instagram, you don't even, I can't even open half. Well, I can open them, but they go into the requests. Right, you know? right, so right. like, you got to like go through them. So like, I like, personally, I like fan time better in that sense, because I have all of my um, messages. Sorry if you hear my dog licking <laughs> his, you know what, right now, <laughs> what's going on, Trey. Can you stop? Can you this hear that? is the best part of the whole. I can't hear it, but I love that we're just talking about raiding dicks while your dog is also licking their junk. Literally, <laughs> he, like the worst timing. He could do this. Try. Can you stop? Normally, my dog it. is next to me, like draw, like ripping farts, like snapping them off the hardwood floor. So I get it. I get it. It happens. The other one's quiet. This one all of a sudden just keeps licking his balls. I'm like, Trey, come on, stop. All right, thank you. Um, stop. You're. Your fiance, T 
Tino Sabatini or Sab- Sabatelli, sorry, Sabatini. Sabatini, Sabatelli. We'll just go with Sabby. He doesn't like to be called Tino anymore. Okay, <laughs> Sabby, just Sabby. Your fiance, Sabby. You know, you guys, you were just saying, you guys were watching the the numbers rise and watching the income change and et cetera, et cetera. What are the conversations you have with him? Do you guys have a line on like where you draw of what you put on fan time or like what the interactions are like? What are those conversations like? I'm very, very lucky because he's extremely confident in his own skin. He knows that, you know, I'm not going to leave him for anyone on fan time. Sorry, guys. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> I know. Maybe we, maybe we cut that part. No, get it. Um, <laughs> So he's just very comfortable and he's very supportive and he knows that, I mean, this is very lucrative for me. And of course there's, there's lines we draw though. Like he's not, you know, he's not okay with me going out there and, and showing, you know, full nudity and stuff like that. Not that I, I will do that, but um, I show him stuff. We go through things together. Um, He's been through so much between football, NFL and WWE as well. So he just kind of knows how quick, things can change. And like, you know, he always used to say the saying to me, um, you know, sugar to shit, shit to sugar. Like it's, it's true in professional sports. And he's taught me a lot too, to like, and, and he always says he's very proud of how like positive I am and how kind of like, okay, you know, one door closes, the next one opens, but he's helped me a lot in the sense of just kind of being out there for yourself in that sense, because it really is like, I saw sugar to shit in one day. Like I was, the queen over there in NXT. And then I went from like, okay, no, we're, you're, 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 you're going to get fired tomorrow. That's it. And, and we've all seen it, you know, with a lot of people and it, and it sucks. But I think if you have that mindset of like, well, you know what, I need to have other streams of income. I can't rely on this because, and we've seen the last few years, how many people have gotten released like over nothing. And it's like, you can't rely on that one stream of income. And, and that's what he's very adamant about. And he's very adamant about us creating this lifestyle that we um, have financial freedom and we're able to uh, eventually both retire at a young age and, and have kids, have a family and, and support each other on that. So I'm very grateful for him. Talk to me about the power shift of working for a global company, doing X, Y, and Z, having all these different events to attend to, TV dates, championship runs, et cetera, et cetera, to what you've been able to build on your own. There is definitely like that shift in power now, I think, of like what you've been able to do for yourself and not even just you, but I think women in sports in general, there can be such a bad or misinformed stigma of what comes with an OnlyFans, what comes with a a fan time, any of those things. Because, yeah, I mean, no bones about it, but women don't always get paid the same as men in these industries. We aren't always set up for what our retirements are going to look like. Do you feel that you've been able to regain some of that power for yourself? Oh, yeah, 100%. That's like the biggest thing I think that's taught me what I've been through the last, you know, few months of everything is that I know that, you know, my brand, my name, image and likeness is extremely valuable because of all the hard work that I've put into the last, you know, decade or so. So it's not like I know people want to argue that or, you know, people chime in after they hear this or whatnot or whatever about, oh, well, the WWE made you. I'm very grateful for what WWE gave me and the platform that it presented itself with. And so don't get me wrong. And of course, we all know, you know, the social media and and how how big of a platform it is. but you can't deny the work that all of us put into. And I'm not just talking myself, I'm talking all the other women and, and, and the men 
that we put in all this work and we grind like, you know, nobody knows that that schedule until you do it. So, and everything that I did before them as well, you know, I think we kind of forget about that too. Cause it's like, yeah. Oh, well, you didn't come from this. nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like we only hear the negative side of that, of like the constant of when I first got here, like, Oh, she's just here for the fame or she's not a wrestler. She didn't, you know, train for this and, and all the different things. But it's like, no, but I, I had a different path to get me where I am and become successful and become noticed. Like, you know, I did fitness and I build my social media from the ground up on my own. So I, I think we forget about that stuff. But getting back to your point about like regaining my power, I, I have felt that I've regained that power in the sense of I know that my brand is so valuable that I can do all these things. And it's it's not just, you know, these these fan times and only fans and stuff like that. Like we all know how how much money there is that could be made and these opportunities in social media world, in marketing and all these different things that um, we should be able to do at the end of the day. You know, we're all our own brand. And I always, I've always said that and I don't see why not, but yeah, I, I really do feel like I have the world in my hands because I feel like I can do so many other things. It's so badass, I think, to see you, yeah, just to take control and take that power and kind of, you know, forge on, do your own thing. Like you said, you've got your skincare line, you've got Demandies, you've, you know, you are booked and busy, baby. We know it. I'm booked and busy. Booked (laughs) and busy, honey. Okay, so the first time you posted on Fan Time, how stressed out were you the first time that you like posted something that you wouldn't have put on Instagram? Because I would be fucking dying. But you are much different than me in that sense where like that's like your thing. Like the first time that you're out there like really posting, okay, we're going for it. This is the direction that we're going. Were you freaking out a little bit? Not really, because I feel like everything that I've done on there and especially in the beginning, for sure, too, you know, it always gets a little bit sexier. But in the beginning, it was like just a little bit riskier than Instagram or like I've also been like the sex symbol in WWE for the sure. last seven years, no, right? For sure. I mean I came out in a towel. I was a home wrecker, you know, <laughs> going after people with the towel. I can't I mean, you know, there's so many different things that I've done that I'm very comfortable. And obviously no one forced me to do that. I I willingly, you know, was okay with doing that. So it didn't seem like I was out of my comfort zone. I felt like comfortable I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do something that I would feel com- uncomfortable because I feel like it would show too. Like, you know, I just, I wouldn't be okay with it. And nowadays with social media, like, you know, I say it and yeah, was I taking a little bit of a risk? People might say, yeah, I was because of course with screenshotting and everything else, like your stuff's going to get out eventually. Right. So I can't put something out there that I'm going to later on be so mad that it leaked or something because it's bound to happen. And I'd look like an idiot. Right. I've never really felt like, oh, this is too much or if it was questionable, I would either ask, you know, my fiance Sabby, or I would get a second input or something. So I was listening to the Pamela Anderson inter- or a Pamela Anderson interview today. She got her documentary coming out, her book coming out, and she was talking about growing up in a super small town. She kind of came from nothing. All of a sudden, she is like thrust into the spotlight. She's you know going to play by match and doing da 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 whatever. She had gone through some shit that led to her essentially. I guess using her sexuality with like a vengeance, almost like weaponizing with it. Is there anything that led to you being like, fuck this, I am that hot bitch? Or have you always just been like that? It's funny you mentioned that because as I was watching the documentary, I swear like I could relate to it, obviously at different levels and scales, but like 
I felt the same thing of like when, I don't know, when I was just watching it, there's so many things going through my head, especially with what's going on right now, but you can tell like that sense of power. I mean, we all know, you know, that everyone and not even just men, like everyone loves looking at beautiful people, right? Beautiful women, like it, it's understandable, but yeah, there is a, there is like a sense of power if that's the question. I mean, I, I'm trying to, it's hard to explain, I feel like, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. As I was watching it, I could like sense that, but it, it is a little hard to explain. Wheeler Yuta. Um, first of all, thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man. We were supposed to do it a couple days ago and you got like screwed travel wise. Isn't that the worst? It is the worst. I spent a nice fun day in Dayton, Ohio, but it was all good. It's funny. I get like residual stress when you had texted me and you're like, well, we had to deplane and now we're getting back on the plane. I'm like, oh my God, like that is my truest nightmare. Are you at that point traveling already where you're like, F these delays. I don't want to get off the plane. All that shebang. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever had like I got on the plane and then had to deplane actually. I felt so bad. I was traveling with uh, Marina Shafir and she was connecting through Philly. So she had to like completely rebook everything. Like she took a taxi to Columbus and then what? had to get on a, no. yeah, like connected somewhere else. Like, yeah, it was great. A taxi to Columbus would have been like a couple hundred dollars. I think American paid for it. Oh, okay. Well, that's not so bad, but oh my God, the things we have to do. I was actually reading this morning. There was a flight in Austin because it was like travel issues in Texas, which were in Texas next week, the week after that. I'm like, what happened in Texas? I know they've got like freezing happening there. But in Austin, like a FedEx plane was landing, was clear to them, but they had like really heavy fog. As a Southwest flight was taking off, they almost fucking collided. Oh, my God. That's my worst nightmare. I know. <laughs> As like, I'm already like a little bit of an anxious flyer. I'm like, I should not be. Anytime I see news like that, I need to put on like a quality filter of what news I am reading and what is fed to me because I just don't need that in my life. Yeah. Orange Cassidy told me, I think it was Orange Cassidy told me that one time his plane was landing and they they said before, they're like, the weather's really bad. We're going to try to land. If I can see the runway, we'll land. If not, we're just going to pull back up. Oh, and they my landed. God. It was fine. But I was like, don't tell me that. Like, just, just try it and see what happens. When we had the pay-per-view in Jersey and we had Nora with us, we were landing in New York. And we were like, I had turned my phone on because we were like nearly on the ground. And we pulled right back up. I was like, oh, this isn't fucking good. I've got like, as Nora's like, get me off this plane. And I'm also feeling that way. I was like, oh, my God. Buckle up. What a nightmare. Anyways, I digress. So, listen, I'm happy to have you here on the show. It's about goddamn time we did this. I'm pissed that RJ City got you on his show before me. What the hell? Was it a good experience? It was fun. It was it was very interesting. I mean, I, I'm sorry for not doing yours first. I do apologize. I feel like it's, it's very, on me. It's on me. I feel like it's a faux pas on my part as well. We should have both been on it. I feel like we have to have a kinship through Blackpool Combat Club that I get the first right of refusal. Exactly. Yeah, I should have I should have cleared it with you first. You were there. You were at TV. <laughs> I, I was go. there. <laughs> but no, RJ, RJ's show is fun. It's like such a unique thing compared to like some of the other, you know, AEW, like pro wrestling in general is just so serious. And it's, oh my this God. show is a lot of fun to not, not be serious at all. It's nice to have a little bit more of that, especially like, I know people like they're like wrestling heavy stories and people want the serious side, but it is really cool to get people to open up sort of the way that he does. 
Anyway, so I did watch the episode because I was like, oh, what did RJ get? What did RJ get out of this interview? Which, of course, leads me to the thing that I really took away was the steel drums. You play the steel drums? How and when did you get into the steel drums? What an interesting instrument to pick up. Yeah, so I got really lucky. Uh, When I was a kid, my elementary school music teacher, he had very recently left teaching music at the University of West Virginia. So he was like very overqualified to be teaching like me in the second grade. But he had this big interest in like world music. What a fall from grace. What happened to that guy? Why do you go from the University of... He was 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 tired of it. It was his choice. uh, West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. Okay. He was just like, I'm tired of teaching college. He's like, I'm going to go do this. Play. He played steel drum gigs as well. So he's like, I'm going to go play some steel drum gigs. I'm going to teach at a lower level. And he just taught us. So by the time I was in fourth grade, we had like a steel drum band of fourth graders. Did you guys have a name? What were you guys called? Just the Carolina Forest <laughs> Elementary School <Okay>. Band. <laughs> but uh, what I play now is just like the lead pan, which is like... I guess if in like a regular like four piece band to be like the equivalent of like okay. the singer. But when I was younger, we there's like all different shapes and sizes because a steel drum is just an oil drum. So like the bass is a giant. It's actually six of them, six giant full size oil drums that they just beat the note into. So that's what I played until middle school. And then he was like, if you want to play gigs, you have to switch over to to that. So I was like, OK. So then the band, of course, was no more because we all grew up and went to middle school. Uh, so I just started playing by myself and then that turned into like playing weddings and parties and stuff. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you were taking on gigs. So were you a solo act or were you working with other people at that point? Uh, once I started doing the gigs, it was all just solo. There was a couple times where I went to go play like with my teacher just to kind of learn how to do it. But after that I had, it was called Band in a Box. So it's like a program that would play like the background music. I would take an iPad and a speaker and then I would play the the lead part. And then, that, yeah, that was my my job for a couple summers. What kind of songs would you play? Would you play like songs people know, but just like to or is it like just steel drum specific making some sounds? It was definitely like songs you can know, like for weddings, I would play like just different like classical songs. Like Here Comes the Bride. I'd play uh, oh my- Cannon, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> There's you think that wrestling is high pressure. There's no more pressure than not fucking up a bride's like at the very end of the ceremony. Like the first the first gig I did, like that background music was messing up on me. And I was like terrified that I'm going to ruin this lady's wedding. I'm like, how old were you? Oh, you were 16. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Super underqualified to be playing (laughs) weddings. But I was like, oh, God, here we go. And then, like, it wasn't playing, and then she kind of looks at me, and then I realized the volume was down because I, like, faded out when she walked in for some reason. So <laughs> I had to turn it back on and play Under the Sea because that's what she wanted to leave to. <laughs> so, yeah, that was That's uh, amazing. <laughs> that's so funny, but it is, like, a little, like, as, like, now you're, what, 26? Yeah. Don't you find it funny being like, who would hire a 16-year-old to play their wedding? <laughs> yeah, no way. No way. Like, it was a terrible idea. Like, I would get to the point where I'd run, like, so I would do the the ceremony and then I'd do the cocktail hour. Like, half the time for the cocktail hour, I'd run out of music and start playing the same songs over again. Like, I was like, why are Back you hiring me? to the me? top. Yeah. But what I realized it was is my music teacher, he had too many gigs. Like, he couldn't he couldn't take them all. But what he would do is he would ask for X amount of money. If he didn't want to do a gig, he'd be like, or my student 
we'll do it for like half the price. Okay. So I was getting like the people that were willing to take a discount and take a chance on a child to play their way. Right. <laughs> I'll take the minor. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Are you still friends with the, with your instructor, or your, your coach? Yeah, we keep in contact here and then. I haven't heard from him in a, in a little bit, but he got really excited during the pandemic when I was playing steel drum kind of every day. I was posting videos. So if you want to go back on my Twitter and see what we're talking about, there's a lot. Anytime I'm doing like prep for an interview, I'm like, all right, what does Wikipedia have to say? Is there any news things I need to check? And then I skim through social media. You've not posted on Instagram since like September. What is happening on Instagram? Twitter, I'm even on less. I don't know. I think I've just kind of like taken a step back from social media and stuff. But people see me on TV all the time. They know what I'm about. No, but that's not true because the last thing you posted was you losing the pure championship. Which I've won you have since it. regained it. Yeah. Yes, you could All have right. posted that. I'll, I'll make a post today. It'll be something of me holding the belt, playing steel drum. I don't know. We'll see. I get your cat in the background. Give us just a little menagerie of all things Wheeler Yuta. Yeah, that's I'll, I'll make one need. of the ones where you like swipe across and there's like five pictures. There you go. A carousel. Carousel us. Is that I what it's called? What, I think so. I think I'll call it. Okay, great. Here's what I've been up to since I lost my pure title. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Um, Okay. So growing up playing the steel drums, that would have been your first foray into performing. How much did that help set you up for what you were going to get into as a professional wrestler? I know there's obviously a bit of a weird correlation, but performing is performing. Did it kind of shake the nerves off? In a way, I mean, I always still get nervous before I wrestle, before I do anything. But it was definitely like the first time where it was kind of like, all right, here you go, sink or swim. It's all up to you. And a solo act, like that's terrifying. If you're in a band, you can spread out that pressure a little bit more. And it definitely made me feel more willing to, like, I guess, try stuff. Like, for example, I put Under the Sea, since I brought it up. I would play the melody like once or twice, and then I would just improvise over the background for like two or three times through the song. And then I would end with it. That's a lot like wrestling where it's just kind of like, you know, you're at that point where you're just, it's all on you. You have to come up with it in your own head. So I think that definitely helped me like work under high pressure situations, but it's definitely easier. I think to, uh, you know, if you kind of lose the crowd through wrestling, I think it's a lot harder to get them back. If I was playing like the, the actual ceremony, that was like, all right, you better not do not fuck this up. But like the rest of it was kind of like background music. People are dancing. People might be like, oh, what was that? What happened? (laughs) And then you could kind of recover and go back, especially if you're improvising. If you play the same thing twice, it sounds like you meant to do it. It was one of the things I learned. Yeah, it's a little more forgiving. That's true. Yeah. It was definitely like my first kind of like it's sink or swim. Go ahead, figure it out. It's up to you. Don't mess this up. Um, Okay. So we were sitting in John's locker room the other day. The Blackpool Combat Club locker room essentially is what it was. That night. And uh, Claudio mentioned something interesting that you have your dad saved in your phone as something unique. What is that? All right. So he finds it really funny that my dad is saved in my phone as Master Chief Dad. (laughs) So my dad was in the Navy. And when he retired from the Navy, he was a Master Chief. What is a Master Chief? Uh, So that's the second highest enlisted rank you can get. So he was... Uh, an E-9. So there's one higher, which is Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, which there's only one of. So he got under that. Uh, He was like the chief of boat in uh, Japan for a while. That's like how he met my mom and stuff. But up until ninth grade, he was just dad. 
And then I took his ROTC class where everyone is calling him Master Chief. I'm a dumbass. What is ROTC? My, my dad taught like junior ROTC, which is like a high school class. It's basically like Navy class. Once a week, you have to wear your uniform all day. You do like PT, like physical training. And then two days a week is in the classroom. And then if you do ROTC in college, then those kids actually go into the Navy. Like they become officers in the Navy or whatever branch they go to. But this was the junior version in high school, just to like try it out. So everyone had to call him Master Chief. I just kept calling him Dad. And one day he like sat me down. He's like, uh, hey, bud, you, you can't keep calling me dad in class. It's like, OK. So then I started calling him Master Chief. But then I called him Master Chief at home a couple times. And he's like, you don't have to call me Master Chief. Like, stop <laughs> it. Uh, so then eventually at home and at school, I just started calling him Master Chief Dad. OK, so I have a lot of questions about this. One, how come you didn't go? You did not go into the Navy, obviously. But like what made you not do that? Honestly, I think pro wrestling. I think when I was younger, I always thought that I was going to probably go into the Navy at some point. I think my dad's biggest dream would have been if I had gone to the Naval Academy and then gone in and be an officer. Of course, he loves that I do the wrestling stuff. But I think if he had his way when I was younger, that's where he would have pushed me to. But that's, yeah, I always considered like going into the Navy. Like my dad was in the Navy. My uncle was in the Navy. So that was kind of something I had in the back of my head. But I just knew that I wanted to wrestle. So that was always first. What is it like being raised by a man of like that stature? And what I can imagine comes with somebody um, with, with the training of being in the Navy and the, um, the discipline. What was that like growing up like that? Was he very disciplined at home? There was definitely some things that you could tell were like very specific from his like military stuff. Like if he told us, hey, we're going to leave at 9 a.m., if I was there at like 9.05, his favorite thing would be like, hey, bud, when I say 9 a.m., that means when the big hand is on the 12 and the little hand is on the 9. Like, he'd explain to me how clocks work. Like, All right, Dad, I'm sorry. I would like you to say that for the people in the back, a.k.a. Emilio, because I have no time for tardiness. I think it's such bullshit, so I'm glad that your dad, like, really hammered this home. I'm going to have to do the same thing for my daughter, because being late is bullshit. Right, and that was, yeah, always his biggest pet peeve. He would be like, it means you don't respect me, you don't respect my time. Yes, <laughs> I'm with thing. him. Yeah, <laughs> but now, now like... When people are a little bit late, I'm always like, uh, when the big hand hits 12, <laughs> that's what I always think about. <laughs> yes. but, uh, but other than like that, and there, there are definitely a couple other things, like if I wasn't keeping my head straight around the house and like doing the right thing, he would definitely lay into me a little bit. But it was also funny because everyone at school, like by the time I got to high school, like everyone there was really scared of him. And I was always just like, oh, that's just dad. But it's like, I, like, I see the angry side, but I have also seen the soft side, you know, just at home with our, my mom and our dog and my sister. So it's like I, very different at times, but it was fun to see the like both sides of it, I guess. It's funny. I get that with John a lot where so many people are like, oh my God, like the amount of times I have to tell John that I'm like, yeah, this person said they were like a little terrified of you. He's like, I don't understand. Why do people say that? I'm like, dude, you can give off a vibe of like, don't fucking talk to me, which he's great at. But then I'm so used to him just being like my husband and the father of my child and with our animals. Yeah, it's funny to be able to see both sides of somebody that other people fear. Like, come on. He's fine. He is fine. Um, what's your mom like? Uh, she's just very 
very not military at all. Very, very different from her dad. Yeah. <laughs> she's always like the calming, the soft presence, I guess. But yeah, she's always been a nice counterbalance, I think, to to my dad. But I mean, like when it comes to, uh, you know, if she feels like I'm messing up, she'll, she will not mince words when it comes to telling me that. Good. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, did you spend much time in Japan? Did you go over there with your mom much? Um, so I only actually went over once when I was a kid. So my dad was stationed in Japan. Uh, my sister was born there. But then by the time I came around, he was on his like last last stop, which was actually in Hawaii. I think they kind of gave that to him. It's like, uh, enjoy your enjoy your last couple of years in the Navy. Oh, that's nice. Were you in Hawaii? I was, yeah, that's actually where I was born. But then I... Uh, he retired pretty shortly after I was born. So back to Philly you go. Back to Philly we go. <laughs> Are you guys Philly proper? Like in like downtown Philly? He is from Philly originally. Um, actually, when he got that uh, ROTC teaching job, that was in South Carolina. So that's where I that's where I lived when I was a kid. But then uh, when I was an adult, moved back up here because this is where all like my aunts and uncles and grandparents are from and everything. So. Um, okay, so you didn't go into the Navy. You went into professional wrestling. Um, what was the little, like, twinkle in your eye that lured you over there instead of this life in the Navy? Just ever since I was a little kid, like, wrestling just it was so big, so larger than life. It was just so much fun to, to watch. The way I was introduced to it was, like, my cousins showed me, like, a video game one day. And I was like, wow, this video game is awesome. And they're like, you know, like, real people do this. No, I didn't. So then they, they showed me whatever wrestling was on TV that night. And then just ever since then, I was hooked. It was always kind of like uh, my it was like my thing. It was like my escape. Like everyone else kind of looked down on wrestling at the time or just made fun of me for being a wrestling fan. So it was always like this is my my thing just for me. And then uh, when I got a little older and started training, I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually not bad at this. So then it became something that I pursued. And, uh, you know, I actually went like part of moving back to Philly. Like I picked a college in Philly because I thought that independence would be better. And then I never left. As the pure champion, I mean, you look at the guys that have held that title before AJ Styles, Nigel McGuinness, Samoa Joe, Jay Lethal. Um, for you to be in that company now on your second reign as the pure champion, um, just of the things that you've been able to accomplish in your career in like a pretty short amount of time. It's pretty impressive. What does it mean to you to hold that title? Definitely means a lot to be like the, actually, I'm the only person who's held it twice. Um, it means a lot to kind of be able to take that, take that forward, like that division and that style forward. It's something that I always really enjoyed, like getting back to basics and having this very unique rule set that it can be a hindrance if you don't know how to use it and how to play with it, or it can really help you with matches and it can make the matches more interesting. You know, like if you use all the rope breaks and then someone gets submitted in the ropes, that's a kind of finish that you can't have in any other match. So it's really cool to me to be able to kind of play with that and take it forward. And then also just like on a personal note, I sort of thought that I would never get to have the title. I was in, I was in ring of honor during the pandemic. My debut was actually their one of their closed tapings. So I never got to be in front of a crowd in my first run in ring of honor. And then, you know, I had, I was in the pure title tournament. I lost career kind of moved on. I went to AEW and I was like, Oh, that's a little sad. Like I canceled my last ring of honor booking. That would have been my only one with a crowd in Philly. That would have been cool. Like I felt like I really missed out on a lot of things in ring of honor for a company that I was such a fan of. So then for the way that it all worked out for Tony to now own it and for me to be able to go back and do it again, it means a lot that I get to kind of bring it full circle. Which brings me to Daniel Garcia. 
That son of a bitch. <laughs> you guys tore it up at death before Dishonor. You guys just had such a great match. How do you feel about that match now looking back at it? Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that match. Anytime I get to get in there with Garcia, I think that, I think that we're very similar wrestlers. There's two ways you can have a really good match. It's either you're very similar or you're so far different that it's like unique in that way. But I think that we are just so very similar. Like the first time we wrestled was like on the independence. I got there an hour before the show and then we wrestled for an hour. We're just such like good foils against each other that it's, it's really fun. And the same time, like, it's fun to have to come up with, like, creative stuff. Like, this is the fourth time that we've wrestled. So it's like, all right, how can we make it different? How can we have a slightly different match than we've had before, but still give the fans all the things that they wanted? So being able to have that match was really fun. And it was awesome to do it on, like, such a big stage. Like, being able to have these matches on pay-per-view, on Dynamite has been awesome. I think that he and I both thought we would be able to do one day, but I don't think we thought it would be so soon. Okay, so you joining Blackpool Combat Club, um, what all kind of went into you being recruited by them, so to speak? Because I do feel like there was a bit of a conversation, not I don't know if there was a conversation, but it was like, Yuda's a guy, Garcia's a guy, like there was a, there was a sort of like, yeah, he's kind of checking out to see who this next crop of guys are going to be, um, and for it to be you to join guys like Brian Danielson, like John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, William Regal when he was there. And to have that match with John when you guys beat the absolute shit out of each other. Oh, my God. Sorry about uh, but for that. You, to, you know what? It happens. But, uh, yeah, for you to be able to join guys like that and now move into whatever this next version of your career is going to look like. To be able to be with those guys is just such a blessing. To be able to have such good mentors and in different ways, too. Like, they all have, like, similar philosophies, but they all have, like, just a slightly different perspective as to how they look at it. I can get very, like, get different advice from John than from Brian than from Claudio, but it's all such good, helpful stuff. And it's just finding the stuff that works for me. But I, I feel like when, like, we started sort of telling the story of me joining the Blackpool Combat Club, it felt, to me at least, I don't know about them, but to me it felt, like, real. Like, I really did feel like, all right, I have to prove myself. Like, if I go into these matches and I had a vague idea of where I was going, but no one had given me, like, the definitive, like, this is going to happen. I felt like when we're having these matches, I'm like, if I don't bring it, if I don't really prove myself to these guys, like, they're not going to want me in their group. They're not going to want to be tied to me for the next however long, however many years. Blackpool Combat Club's forever, baby. Exactly. It's for life. I was like, I've got to really make sure that I I do actually earn my place here. And obviously, you're fired up for every match. But that was some of the most, like, fired up I think I've ever been for, for a wrestler. It's interesting because I guess to that point, it's not like creative is blocked out for months and months in advance. Things change. So there really could have been that more pressure added of like, well, shit, if this doesn't go well, we might just move in a different direction. Yeah, I found out about the Brian and the John match on the day of. So I was oh my like, God. all right, I really have to, like, <laughs> as soon as I, like, I found out about it, I was like, all right, flip the switch. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like for the Brian match, like my parents were there and I was like, oh, it'll be nice. I'll probably have like a nice match. See my parents. It'll be great. And I was like, oh no, this is all right. This is biggest match I've had so far. All right, let's go. Let's turn it on. Yeah. And I mean, those like hard hitting matches, is it hard for your parents to watch you in matches like that where it's like, oh, you can hear that. You can hear it and you can like residually feel those strikes. It's definitely hard, especially for my mom. Uh, she still has not watched me versus John. I told her not to. I was like, you, you, you won't like it. Just just don't watch it. You know what happens. <laughs> you get it. 
Um, speaking of John, how about walking out to the ring with his dad in Dayton? That was that- awesome. <laughs> it was so funny because there is like we're we're in the elevator, we're all going upstairs, and John goes to his dad and he goes, just look mean. So as soon as we get out of the elevator, and then someone was like, Hey, fans can see us once we get out of the elevator. So as soon as we get out of the elevator, he just thousand yards like would <laughs> I tried to talk to him, not talk just, yes. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then as soon as we get to the back, he's like, oh, thanks, dude. And it was like, very nice to me. But before he was just game face <laughs> on, he's like, my son's got to fight and I'm going to be there for him. But- I got to rise to the occasion and don't fall down the stairs. That was the biggest thing. Do not fall down the stairs. Oh, my God. So funny. What is the best piece of advice you've gotten from one of the guys in Blackpool Combat Club or something you've learned just being able to watch how they work and how they operate? This this would be from Regal, but I think it's kind of overall encompasses all of the story or like all of the lessons, I guess, that I've gotten. It's just it's always a mindset that you are a trained fighter and you're going out there to hurt the other person. I think that every other piece of advice I've gotten and they've all been awesome and they've all been very helpful. But I think they all fall kind of under that umbrella, you know, whether it be like tightening up pins or just making sure that certain strikes look good. Um, Brian shows me a lot of like really good grappling stuff that all comes from like legitimate grappling. So all of, all of those things, I think tie into like, remember what the mindset is, remember what you're here for before when I was in the best friends, you know, the, the goal is kind of, you know, bring some levity, bring some entertainment. It's like, that's not what you're doing anymore. You are now here to fight and you're here to win. So I think that that was the piece that sort of changed everything for me. How hard was it to make that switch mentally? Because, I mean, working with guys like the best friends, yes, they're super entertaining. All those guys really are great wrestlers, but it's such a different vibe from what you guys do in Blackpool Combat Club. Was it, how long did it take you to kind of like mentally switch gears? Yeah, I mean, there's still things where I'm still, I think, trying to kind of refine and make sure that it's less of, you know, like you said, that entertainment aspect and more of just direct pro wrestling. I mean, it's, I think it's still sort of ongoing, but it definitely took a couple weeks, a couple months even. And then just a lot of like, just trying stuff out. Like, I think that I would have like matches where I would do everything kind of the way that, you know, we should with the Blackpool Combat Club. And then there'd be like one weird thing where it'd be like, all right, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, old thing I used to do is like, I'd stand on the second rope, fake the guy out, have them duck and then climb up to the top. And it's like, Hey, maybe we, maybe we cut that one or something like that. It definitely took a while to kind of readjust like my offensive attack and less, elusive and more of just attacking yeah yeah get on them make it happen hit them get them punch them uh working with new japan doing best of the super juniors what was that experience like for you to be able to work there with them that was really awesome being able to go back to japan like i only got to go once when i was a kid some of your family's still there yeah did you get to see them uh yeah i got to drop in a little bit with my uncle he was pretty sick at the time so i didn't really get to spend too much time with him but it was really nice to be able to go over there and just live in japan for for that amount of time and everyone on the crew was so nice just the wrestling was so much fun the wrestling was so much more frequent than it is here like here we usually do once a week and then if you pick up an independent on the weekend that's cool but there is like three times a week minimum it was a lot of wrestling crammed into to not a lot of time so i feel like i grew just as a wrestler but then as a human being as well being able to live over there Yeah. And like you said, too, it's like, God, to be able to go over there and just to reconnect with that side of who you are and that side of your family. um, What were some of the things that in Japan that that you just got to like really indulge in or learn a little bit more about or just to be able to reconnect with? In America, a lot of the only connections you can get is like the food. 
So being able to think of the foods that like my mom has made before, like she made like tonkatsu and then I got to go, which is it's deep fried like pork cutlet. And then I got to go to like El Desperado's family has a uh, tonkatsu restaurant. So like getting to go there and like taste how, how it's like made in Japan. It was so awesome. Like to be able to go do that. And then just like, it felt cool to be like getting around on like the trains and stuff. Just like by the end of the tour, I was like, all right, I know how to take the train to get to like the gym and I can get to the grocery store and all that stuff. And like the same train my uncle's on every day to go to work in Tokyo. And it was, it was really cool to be able to kind of reconnect and do all that stuff. Who did you find out that you were as a wrestler in New Japan? I feel like a lot of guys really kind of use New Japan as that that bar to kind of set of like, who are you? How does your style change? How can you fit into that style that they're wrestling over there? And like you said, wrestling a minimum of three times a week. It's a different pace, all that. What did you find out about yourself over there as a wrestler? It was really fun because like everything's very straightforward so that was like right after i joined you know the blackpool combat club so it's a lot of what i was saying about you know like things in the the best friends we would do like sometimes they're like a little bit overly complicated or it's just very like elusive funny haha stuff like not saying not saying that they can't get down and wrestle when it's time to do that but it's a very like different structure i guess and then in japan it was very much just like all right straightforward go 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 so it was definitely different to like try different moves out, try different holds and submissions. Like I really feel like I kind of refined a lot of the stuff that I would do in the ring as a member of the Blackpool Combat Club. I got to try out finishing holds. Like I tried Brian's like cattle mutilation for a while. Realized that that one was not for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that New Japan really it tested me just like mental toughness wise. Like. So much endurance, like you just have to keep going. The matches are so much longer a lot of the times, and there's so many more of them. It was just like, are you tough enough to handle this kind of? And I feel like it showed me I was. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there. And you can see us talking, having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them, maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.